If you have your Bible this evening, uh, let me ask you to turn to the 121st Psalm. The 121st Psalm. And as you're turning there, I want to express my gratitude for the invitation to come and to be with you, brethren, this evening. Uh, My name is Christopher Sheffield. I'm the pastor of the Grace Reformed Baptist Church in Rocky Mount. And uh, I have been encouraged by our time together, and I pray that the things that the Lord uh, would speak to us from His Word this evening would also continually uh, be a blessing to us as we meditate upon His Word. If you found your place in the Psalms, Psalm 121, let us begin together this evening and read here this this pilgrim psalm. I will lift up my eyes under the hills from whence comes my help. My help comes from the Lord, which made heaven and earth. He will not suffer thy foot to be moved. He that keeps thee will not slumber. Behold, he that keeps Israel shall neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord is thy helper. The Lord is thy shade upon thy right hand. The sun shall not smite thee by day, nor the moon by night. The Lord shall preserve thee from all evil. He shall preserve thy soul. The Lord shall preserve thy going out and thy coming in from this time forth and even forevermore. Let us bow in prayer this evening and entreat God's grace to be with us. O God, our Heavenly Father, as we humble ourselves at this time beneath Your Word, we pray that these words which we have now heard with our outward ears would be so inwardly engrafted upon our hearts that we might receive from them good fruit that we might bear to Your glory and to the edification of Your people and the upbuilding of Your church through Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen. Well, as I said, this is a pilgrim psalm. You'll see there at the subtitle of the psalm we read a song of degrees or a song of ascents. It could also be translated a song of steps. There the idea is that these 15 psalms, which range from Psalm 120 to Psalm 134, there are 15 of them. They are songs that would have been sung by the people of God as they made their pilgrimage three times a year to Jerusalem. And as they would have gone up, they would have sung these pilgrim songs. It is also believed, quite possibly, that the priests, the the Levitical priests, would have sung these psalms as they advanced toward the temple in procession for worship at given times of the day. But needless to say, in this particular psalm, we have a very clear picture of a pilgrim on a journey. This 121st psalm reminds us that the Christian life is indeed a pilgrimage. We're reminded of the story by John Bunyan of the pilgrim's progress. And in here we have an understanding that indeed this is what 
the children of Israel as they traveled from various places around the world to find their place in the temple on God's holy mount, Mount Zion. This is the song they would have sung. Now some have believed and and said that perhaps it's a military psalm and that it speaks of God's preserving His people in the midst of battle. And while that's possible, we have no reference within the psalm of any military language. And so I think it's better taken with the context before us to understand this as a song that would have been sung as one was on their journey to the city of Jerusalem. And we remember the song that we have perhaps sung many, many times as a child and also as adults. We're marching to Zion. Beautiful, beautiful Zion. We're marching upward to Zion, the beautiful city of God. Well, this is something of a song of that nature. And let us notice that within this psalm specifically, we have two things. There is a resolution that the psalmist makes. We believe the author to be David, though we can't be sure. But there is a resolution that he makes in verses 1 and 2, and then reasons behind the resolution in verses 3 through 8. Let us begin with the resolution that he makes. He begins with the words, I will lift up my eyes unto the hills from whence comes my help. It's worth noting that there is some... Uh, difference of opinion about the possibility of how one would translate or interpret what's being written here. And commentators are about evenly divided. Is this a statement or is it a question? If it were a statement, one would be saying, I am lifting up my eyes to the hills and it is from the hills that my help comes from. Or one might be asking a question. And in that way, instead of saying, this is where my help comes from, instead he would be saying, from where shall my help come? It is not immediately clear in the Hebrew grammar as to which one fits. I will say that with verse 2, it may fit better to assume that it is a question. For he says in verse 2, my help comes from the Lord, which made heaven and earth. There is reason for us to assume that if the former uh, translation, which puts it as a question, is to be assumed, we have reason for believing that uh, that would fit very well with other statements in Scripture. For we know that idolatry very often took place on the high places, on the hills. In fact, the prophet Jeremiah, in condemning the children of Israel for their idolatry, said of the encroaching judgment of God upon the children of Israel, truly in vain is salvation looked for from the hills. He said, you look in vain for salvation from the idols which you have erected upon the hills. He says, and from the multitude of mountains, truly the Lord our God is the salvation of Israel. But, given that this is a pilgrim psalm, and this would have been sung as children or the children of Israel made their way in pilgrimage to Jerusalem, we know that Jerusalem was built upon Mount Zion. We know that Jerusalem was surrounded by hills, for we know that Psalm, just a little way over in Psalm 125 and verse 2, it says, as the mountains are round about Jerusalem. 
So the Lord is round about His people. Well, we know then that it would not be out of order for us to assume that He is saying, as they march, as they look down the road, that their eyes are fixed upon Jerusalem, upon Mount Zion, with great anticipation for their coming to the blessed city. And in that way they would say, we lift up our eyes to the hills upon which Mount Zion sits, upon which the temple is built, upon which the Ark of the Covenant is, and this is the place to, to which we are going. And therefore it would be a statement from whence my help comes. My help comes from Jerusalem, from Zion, literally from the God who dwells there. Now whatever interpretation we take, uh, and I don't believe that it's clear. I think you could really go either way. There is only one possible conclusion, however, as to the importance of his statement in verse 1. And it is to draw out emphatically the understanding that the pilgrim's help comes from the Lord, and the Lord alone which made heaven and earth. And so in Psalm 124 in verse 8, it says, Our help is in the name of the Lord who made heaven and earth. We understand that that verse was quoted, if you will. In some Reformed churches, that verse, Psalm 124, verse 8, is called the votum. It is the call to worship used in every service. They begin by saying, Our help is in the name of the Lord who made heaven and earth. And in this way, we have a character given concerning the God that we are speaking of and that He is almighty. He is the creator of heaven and earth and therefore there is nothing that stops His hand from preserving His people as they travel. He keeps them in all their way. So herein is the resolution that He makes. But let us notice the reasons behind this resolution. And we note several things about the nature, the character of this God and of the care that He provides for His pilgrim people. First, we note that His care is all-powerful. As we said, He has made heaven and earth, and therefore there is nothing that He could not do. In Psalm, chapter one, uh, Psalm 146 and verse 5, the psalmist says, Happy is he that has the God of Jacob for his help, whose hope is in the Lord his God. Verse 6, Which made heaven and earth, the sea and all that therein is, which keepeth truth forever. Therefore we may trust that his care is the only care that matters because He is the only one who is able to effectually bring salvation and help and preservation to His people. We may look in vain at other things for such care, but we will not receive it. Secondly, we will note this evening in this psalm that His care is ever watchful and vigilant. His care is ever watchful and vigilant. We notice in verses 3 and 4 that it says, He will not suffer thy foot to be moved. He that keeps thee will not slumber. Well, if you have your Bibles for a moment, just for a second, you may turn back with me to the 91st Psalm. And I'll share with you some of the language that the psalmist used in that place concerning the vigilance of God. There in verses 11 and 12, we're told in this place 
For he shall give his angels charge over thee to keep thee in all thy ways, for they shall bear thee up in their hands, lest thou dash thy foot against a stone. And on and on in this particular psalm, Psalm 91, there is mention of God's providential care of his people extending to the very smallest details of their life. Now it is all well and good for Christians to admit that God is sovereign. And yet while on the one hand we may say with our mouths that God is sovereign, very often our actions, be it our prayerlessness or our lack of trusting God at various times of our lives, abundantly demonstrates that we don't believe that God is really to be bothered with the finite details of our lives. Or what's more, we admit by our own actions and our lack of trusting God that His providence doesn't extend to the trivial and the mundane things with which we are so burdened with. And brethren, that is a lie. God's providence extends to the smallest thing. If, as the Lord Jesus Christ tells us in the Gospels, the Lord's providence extends to a sparrow that falls from the sky, and not merely the fall of a kingdom or an empire, as we see in the Ukraine, the rising of some powers and the falling of others, perhaps we think that's all that God is concerned with. But God tells us that the very hairs upon our head are numbered. His care is ever watchful and it is ever vigilant. He never slumbers. He never sleeps. His eyes do not grow weary. He is never drowsy. His attention is never lacking. Indeed, we remember the words of the prophet Elijah when he had challenged the priests of Baal concerning they had set up two altars. And he said, we're going to have a showdown between Baal and the God of the Bible. Jehovah God. And so they did. And when the hour had come that Baal should have answered and answered from heaven by consuming their sacrifices with fire, as the Lord Jehovah indeed did in the presence of all of them, Elijah, endeavoring to make fun of them, he says, he says to them, cry aloud, for he is a God. Speaking of Baal mockingly, maybe he's meditating, he says. Maybe he is busy. Or is he perhaps on a journey? Or perhaps he is sleeping and needs to be awakened. This was the mocking jest of the prophet of God toward the priests of Baal. And he took great delight in mocking them, as he should have. Because he was confident that his God never slumbers or sleeps. His eyes are ever watchful and upon his covenant people. And so the saint may be assured in all of his journeys that nothing evades his attention. Nothing is missed by his all-seeing eye. Here it says in this place that he will not suffer your foot to be moved. It speaks of literally slipping. In the last couple of days, and really I can say being a boy from South Georgia, that I've seen more snow in the last three months than I have in my entire life. But needless to say, and with all of the videos online and people that you can watch slipping, and it's great fun, I admit. But needless to say, the Lord is taken with concern for those things, even when your foot would seemingly, accidentally, haphazardly just slip from its place, perhaps because you stepped on a patch of ice. 
Not even that evades the all-seeing eye of God. It means his vigilance extends to the finest details of our lives. Our God cares for us. He is vigilant. In verse 6, or excuse me, verse 5, it says, The Lord, the Lord is thy keeper. Or excuse me, verse 4, Behold, he that keeps Israel shall neither slumber nor sleep. This speaks of the covenant nature of God's providential care. It may not be lackadaisically claimed by people who are fans of the Bible. They may not say, well, they like the Bible and its inspirational stories and its precious verses. They cannot say that uh, in all things, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. They cannot claim these promises apart from a covenantal relationship with the God who has made them. And that relationship may only be found by faith in Jesus Christ. So he is ever watchful. Let us notice thirdly this evening that his care is ever present. He is ever watchful and vigilant, but he is ever present. Here in this place in verses 5 and 6, it says, The Lord is thy keeper. The Lord is thy shade upon thy right hand. The sun shall not smite thee by day, nor the moon by night. Now, regardless of the immediate understanding in the most literal rendering of these words, we have to understand their historical context. We have to understand that these words had reference to God's providential care of His people in the wilderness of Egypt. We're told in Exodus chapter 13 and verse 21, And the Lord went before them, that was the children of Israel. He went before them by day in a pillar of a cloud to lead them on the way, and by night in a pillar of fire to give them light and to go by day and night. So here it is not so much speaking about His protection from a sunburn as much as He is saying that God is ever present with His people, whether it is by day or whether it is by night. We see that our God's care He is ever with us. He is an imminent God. Yes, it is true that He is transcendent. He is higher than the heavens. He is the lofty one who inhabits eternity. But at the same time, He is an ever imminent God. He is ever with us. He is present with us. He is at our hand. And He may be called upon. Sometimes we worry that our prayers only get as high as the ceiling. Thanks be to God, they don't even need to get that high. For He is with you. He is, as it were, by your side. God's care is ever-present. And fourthly, His care is comprehensive. His care is comprehensive. His care extends to things temporal as well as spiritual. We've noticed in verse 6 that in verse 6 it says, The sun shall not smite thee by day, nor the moon by night. Notwithstanding what I've already mentioned about that, it is worth noting that God's care is temporal. It is very spiritual and pious for us to say that we need not be so taken up with praying for physical matters in a prayer meeting or in a church service. And that's true. We should not as a church be overly preoccupied with those things, but neither should we neglect to pray, give us, Lord, our daily bread. God is concerned with our physical needs, those temporal things with which we are touched. He feels our infirmities. He knows our weaknesses. 
Our medical concerns and those things which bring us anxiety, they are of concern to Him. And so it would be wrong for us to say that, well, we should just be concerned with spiritual things in our prayer meetings or in our worship services. Our Lord instructed us to pray to give us, Lord, our daily bread, just as assuredly as He told us to pray, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. So His care is temporal. It does extend to temporal matters, earthly matters, physical matters, and circumstances of our lives. But it is also spiritual. We see in verse 7, that the Lord shall preserve thee from all evil. He shall preserve thy soul. And if you read that, the Hebrew word there for soul can be variously rendered as life or soul, but I believe here it speaks of the immaterial part of our being. It could just as easily be rendered heart. In fact, in other places it can be. It is translated heart. But it speaks of the immaterial part of man. And it means that God is not just concerned with our temporal, transient, earthly concerns, but He is most especially concerned with our spiritual state. Thanks be to God when we have not the good sense to get on our knees and to pray that we would be led not into temptation, that our Savior, our great High Priest over the house of God, intercedes for us effectually to that end that our souls would be kept from all evil. So Paul says in 2 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 18, speaking of all the trials and the mischief that he had fallen into at the hands of wicked and perverse men, he says, And the Lord shall deliver me from every evil work and will preserve me under, the, under His heavenly kingdom, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. The Apostle Paul there using the analogy of a pilgrimage. He says, I have been preserved in all of my journeys and thanks be to God, I shall be preserved unto the very end by the power which works in Him. What should we say this evening in way of application concerning the text which we here read we have this closing statement in the psalm, The Lord shall preserve thy going out and thy coming in from this time forth and even forevermore. His care is eternal and perpetual. And in way of application, we sing such a psalm. We notice the transition in the language. He began in verses 1 and 2 speaking in the first person, I will lift up my eyes. My help comes from the Lord, but no sooner than we get to verse 3 and we're speaking in the second person. He will not suffer thy foot to be moved. He that keepeth thee will not slumber. Well, it's almost as a, a soliloquy, which is just a fancy word for preaching to yourself. Talking to yourself. And here we believe that's what the psalmist is doing, or I do anyway. And it has... It has the image of one who stirs himself up to appropriate within his heart a felt sense of the promises which God has made to him. And so I begin this evening with two things, or I close this evening, I should say, with two things. An admonition to the fearless and an encouragement to the fearful. 
First, to the fearless, I ask the question, why are you fearless? You may say in answer to the question, I am fearless because I know I am in the hands of Almighty God. And if God be for me, then who can be against me? And to that I say, Amen. Then I am glad that you are fearless. But all too often, those who are indeed fearless, it is because of two things principally. They have a great deal more confidence in themselves than they ought to have. And they have drastically underestimated the nature of the danger in which they are in. The pilgrims could pray to God and express their confidence in Him only after they had a felt sense of the danger that they had and of their own weakness to preserve themselves from it. The Christian who is fearless may indeed just be reckless. So allow me to ask you this question. The Apostle Peter tells us in 1 Peter 5.8 that the devil as a roaring lion walks about seeking whom he may devour. And you say, he may not touch me, for I am a believer. I am in Christ. Well, did he touch Job? Did he not touch Job at the sovereign allowance of God? He did. He said, you may touch my servant, only take not his life. We know that the devil is at work and we are certain that he is not so assured of his defeat as we are. And so we may be confident that he operates upon the principle that he will indeed defeat God and he will indeed bring your soul to nothing. The news hasn't made it to him that he is defeated. And therefore we need to be watchful and vigilant against our adversary that seeks our very life. Do not be overly confident in yourself. Neither be of the persuasion that your enemy is a small one. The promise of a safe journey and a happy destination belongs only to those who are in Christ. These promises may not be vaguely claimed by anyone who wants a comforting word in the hour of their death upon their hospital bed. These words belong only to those whose destination is toward Zion. It does matter in what direction you are traveling. And if you this night are outside of the bonds of Christ, it would be well for you to ask, in what direction are you traveling? Do you travel to the celestial city where you may meet Christ upon the throne and worship Him eternally in fellowship with His people? Or are you traveling in another direction? And it doesn't matter which. So long as it's not in that direction, you may be assured that the providence, the providential care of God is not extended to you. The two principal admonitions of the Gospel involve two turns. One is away from your sin. And the other is toward Christ. To turn from your sin is to Repent, And that is what the gospel requires. And the second is not that you merely turn away from sin because there are no shortage of heretics and false teachers who have a great deal to say against sin who nonetheless will not encourage anyone to flee to Christ for mercy. It is not enough that you turn from your sin without also turning to Christ. Taking a hold of the Lord Jesus Christ going into the rock of ages and crying that He would cleft for you, saying, in my hand, nothing in my hand I bring, simply 
to thy cross I cling. Set your destination this night, sinner, toward the celestial city of Christ. Find your destination there and forsake the city of destruction which you now presently dwell in. For it only leads to death. Turn from your sin and believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, I implore you. Be reconciled to God. And let me not underestimate the urgency of this call. Many souls have been damned assuming they had another day. They had another week. They had another month or year or many years to come. Be not so deceived into thinking that's the case. Turn from your sin and believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Find mercy in His hands. Secondly, I give you an encouragement to the fearful. And why are you fearful? We are fearful because as Christians are, and I will include myself in this number, very often we have an understanding of a certain doctrine and we will say, God is sovereign and therefore this must be His will. And yet within our hearts we moan and we grumble at the things which we must endure. And it is because we have not continually appropriated within our hearts a felt sense of the truths elaborated in this place of Scripture. We have allowed ourselves to have a head knowledge without a heart knowledge of what the Scriptures are saying. I tell people very often, beware of your eye nose. It's when you're in the midst of a great difficulty that you'll begin to moan and complain and you'll follow every complaint with the words, God is sovereign. And you bring a reproach upon Christ and upon His goodness and His providence because even though you might say God is sovereign, you demonstrate within your heart a lack of trust in His care. You must meditate upon God's character. You must daily soak within it and appropriate an understanding of it within your heart. You must also meditate upon His mighty deeds which He has wrought on your behalf. And namely, the finished work of the Lord Jesus Christ. You must continually fix your mind on the Lord Jesus Christ who has done such marvelous and wonderful things on your behalf. It isn't enough for you to say it in your head. Oh yeah, I know the Lord Jesus died for me. Go daily to the cross and appropriate a renewed sense of the grace of God in Jesus Christ. Lest your love should wax cold and you forget His mercy and spurn His grace. Not only should you meditate upon God's character and upon His mighty deeds, but you also must appropriate a felt sense of His immutable promises. Unchangeable, untouchable. They cannot be altered by any law or any court in any land, ever, ever, however so high they may be. They cannot do that. The promises of God are yea and amen. The promises of God are without repentance. And brethren, for those of you who are in Christ Jesus, the promises of God are yours. But you must daily appropriate a felt sense of them being applied to your heart by the work of the Holy Spirit. In this way, in meditating upon these things and appropriating a felt sense of these things within our own hearts, we will go beyond merely saying, yes, I know God is sovereign, to a confident hope 
and trust in God's ever-present, ever-vigilant care. We will be able to say with the hymn writer of old, Christ is the keeper of His saints. He guards them by His power, subdues their numerous complaints in every gloomy hour. What though they fear each dread alarm, tried and severely tossed, held by the Savior's almighty arm, none, none can e'er be lost. He'll lead them on fair Zion's road, though weary, weak, and faint, for, oh, they ne'er shall lose their God, or God e'er lose His saint. How sure His great salvation shines, how full the vast reward, how firm the promises e'er remain, how faithful is the Lord. Let us pray. Almighty God and Heavenly Father, we confess to Thee, O Lord, that we are fearful and unbelieving. We confess to Thee that often, Lord, we may speak with our mouths and confess a faith in the providential and sovereign care of God while practically within our hearts disowning it altogether. Forgive us, O Lord. Have mercy upon us, O our God, and inspire our hearts through the text which you have inspired this night. In this psalm, O Lord, we pray that your Holy Spirit would come, powerfully illumine this page to our eyes, impress its eternal and weighty truths upon our hearts, so that indeed they may be engrafted there we may find fresh material daily for renewed contemplation, new material for praise and adoration. And may ever sing of the glories of our God as we ever travel on this weary road to Zion. Help us, O Lord, as the psalmist does here, to fix our eyes on Zion, the celestial city where Christ Jesus dwells at your right hand in power and in great majesty that we might be inspired in our journey to continue ever onward and to press on for the high calling of God in Christ Jesus to not be content with waiting in the world's affairs and trifling concerns. Enable us, O our God, to reach our desired destination where we might ever join with all of the saints from every age in singing your eternal praise and glory in our journeys in, where we might know the fullness of your joy everlasting in your presence through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen.